When you are creating a body of work like a podcast, as you move forward, themes start to develop. Now that I am two years in and over 100 episodes in with this creative endeavor, I am seeing some patterns and ideas come forward. You know, the concept of the long game is that you got to stick with it and that you are on your own journey. And with that, things evolve in their own time and they evolve completely unique to you in your own way, right? No two people have the same path. And we talk a lot about creativity here. You know, it's something that drives me and it's part of my core values. It's a way to view the world and a way to approach your work. This podcast has really become an intersection of creativity, business, and strategy. Oh, yes, and fun. Like, let's have some freaking fun along the way, so of course. But the more I reflect and see how much we talk about creativity here, it's coming to light, right? The the power of creativity in letting who you are show more to the outside world. The power of creativity as a release, the power of creativity for healing, the power of creativity for your happiness. Well, today my guest, Lizzie LaRock, joins me for some supercharged creative talk. Seriously, just listening to her worldview and references like fuels me with ideas. Lizzie LaRock is a creativity coach, speaker, and creator of the popular and in the wild program, The Life Feast. This membership is a lively mashup of positive psychology and creativity, where she helps people find their spark, achieve goals, get out of their own way, and find more joy, all while making it feel like a playful adventure. And, you know, this is really such an expressive episode that really made me think, you know, gave me pause afterward. You know, and who just doesn't love being inspired? So listen in. Today, The Long Game is The Life Feast with Lizzie LaRock. You're listening to The Long Game Podcast with Sandra Scaiano. In a world where everyone is doing, it's easy to get lost in a sea of comparison, secret tricks, and promises of overnight success. The Long Game is my approach to business. The actual day-in and day-out philosophy that you have to show up, You have to do the work, and there's no quick fixes for long-term success. I'm a web designer, digital strategist, and energetic thinker, and I'm here to share the process and lessons I experience with my clients daily who are going through the same struggles of building a business as you are. We'll hear from successful entrepreneurs sharing their long game strategies, and I'm fun, so we're going to have a little fun along the way too. Thanks for being here. Let's get to today's episode. I am so excited for our talk today. We are getting creative. We are talking creativity, what it does for your soul, how it can fuel you, why you need it in your life with my guest, creativity coach, speaker, and creator of the popular online and in the wild program, The Life Feast. With me today is Lizzie LaRock. Welcome. Thank you, Sandra. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, me too. And we are old friends, so we were just chatting it up. Of course, I always say, gosh, I should have pushed record like five minutes ago. I know, get all so, the dirt in there. in there. Totally. I'm so excited to uh, connect with you though and talk about like what you've been doing and your passion and how to help people bring their passion out a little bit more. So let's get started. Life Feast, first of all, that's the name of your business. That's the name of your membership. Best name ever. And I have heard a lot of membership names. Uh, So uh, like, tell us, what is it? How does that even manifest? Yeah. So the name, that's really funny. I actually have, your audience will appreciate this. I have a Facebook ads person right now who does not like the name and thinks it needs to be very literal and very much like the five steps to your whatever. And I was like, no, uh, no, it's the life feast. It's saying that forever. I will. Oh take my that. gosh. You're like, you don't understand me. I, I, totally. I was like, yeah, this is a mismatch. So yeah. that's a story for a different day. But so it, came, oh. it comes from a Derek Walcott poem. And it's this beautiful poem. So years ago, probably like, I don't know, 12 years ago or so, I was 
I mean, this is going to sound even more antiquated. I was reading a magazine. <laughs> I was reading Oprah <laughs> magazine. And in it, in one of the you know center spreads, she would have a poem each month. And there was a poem from Derek Walcott called Love After Love. And it was this beautiful kind of like a self-care poem. And it was about this relationship with yourself. And it's this peel your own image from the mirror, you know, that's been kind of, un- I, I'm not going to say recite the entire poem, but sort of this premise of being undernourished your own self. And it was mm-hmm. sit and sit with yourself and feast on your life. And I just loved that concept. And I, I think I burst into tears at the time I owned like a 300 seat restaurant. So irony, all the f- food metaphors. It was so <laughs> stressful. I it was a, the bane of my existence. I had young. My I have twins who are now 16 years old. So I had little little kids. A huge restaurant and was just going through really difficult times in my life. And I they read this poem. Like, oh, I've been starving. Like, I have not fed my soul. I have not fed my well-being at all. And here, this mm-hmm. poem's talking about feasting on your your life and no longer starving yourself in your own well-being. So years later, when I was creating wow. The Life Feast, I was like, that is the name. It's coming from that that poem. Oh my gosh. It is perfect. It's beautiful. It's celebratory. It's joyous. It's everything that you bring to your work and we're going to talk about today is the life feast. I mean, that's what it is really, you know, like how to get yourself out of your everyday, how to get your thinking out of your everyday. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to say like more about like this creative mashup of things. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke that, you know, we aren't meant to just pay bills and die in life. Like we are meant to have this (laughs) feast. We are meant to. And, and I think that with adulthood, you know, the other sort of impetus of the origin of the life feast is this Picasso quote that I love and that it's, you know, he says that the purpose of art is to wash the dust of daily life off of our souls. And I think of it as like, so with each sort of adult milestone, you know, each mortgage payment, each, you know, beginning a house, all that, you just get more dusty, right? Like we're just coming out of tax season and it just felt like a really, oh my gosh, that does a number on me emotionally. <laughs> See, I'm like, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. I'm doing nothing wrong. State of panic. So we we just get more and more, you know, kind of stagnant in that piece. And so I wanted to create a program that got people in this, like, I, I like to say, like, out of your inbox and into your life. Like, how can you use creativity to live a bigger life when culturally we're just inundated with be productive, get stuff done, do you know a million things for your kids and work. Am I? Find time for yourself in there. Don't forget that. Yeah. Squeeze it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so my, my realization in my own work was that, and it was a couple things. There's there's an origin sort of before the life feast came about. Where I'll I'll talk about how I use creativity to help me, but I'll but I'll just share that, you know, I've found that so because I have identical twins, like every milestone happens at the same time, so it's not dragged out. <laughs> like when everyone went to school, everyone went to school, and so right. <laughs> I kind of came to this moment when they were about eight years old, and I was taking them to painting classes and dance classes and sports and piano. And one of my twins was quitting piano and she loved to draw. She loved, she wanted to take flute lessons. I was really bummed that she was quitting piano. And I had to, you know, as I was trained as a coach. So as a coach, like you kind of look at yourself and go, wait, what is this about? Like, why am I so bummed that, that she wants to quit? And it was like, well, this is this big regret of mine. And I'm not doing all these things. I, I'm taking them to all these activities. And I'm so envious of like their schedule. And I'm the driver. And I'm just sitting in my car, you know, on my phone, checking my email and doing work things in every waking moment when I'm not parenting. So it was this realization of, so I signed up for the piano lessons of, and I awesome. told the piano teacher, I said, well, I don't want to take lessons away from small children if you have a long waiting list or something. Cause he was like, you don't, you don't have to, like, you don't have to feel guilty 
Lizzie and, and take, and I was like, no, it's like, I really, it's a big regret. And I really would love that. So it was just making space in my own life for this, what I call feastiness. You're so right that we have made an effort to do these things for our children, expose them to different activities and different arts, yet we stop that for ourselves. Or maybe it's like every couple of weeks I go out with my girlfriends, there's my one thing or, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we role model for our kids hey, it's really important to have all these enrichment activities and you should be so well-rounded and do all these, you know, my kids were very overscheduled. I'm like the liberal arts parent of, you know, that let's do everything because it sounded so amazing to me. And then say like, and then when you become adult, you do nothing. You, You pay bills, you make dinner. And yeah, maybe every once in a while you get to go do a girl's night out and that's it. So, and I thought that's just wrong. And I realized too, like I would be standing at the, park or the playground with my friends. And we're just talking about like, what summer camp are they doing? And what tutor do you go to? And all this stuff. And, and I thought we were, we were interesting people. Like we used to have cool things to talk about. How is this now, you know, and I love my children and I love my friends and I, you know, we we learn so much from each other and collaborating and sharing that information. But I also was like enough, like we need to, we need to spice things up ladies. Oh my gosh, completely. The the conversations for me were school. What school are you going to? Where are you going? What all that? And I literally moved because I was like, I don't want to have those conversations. I don't want to seek out the school anymore. We're going to move yeah. where the kids will just go to school. And like, yeah, the stress <laughs> of like, where are they going to go to college? And they're four years old. And you're like, okay. Oh, I was like, we used to just get together and hang out and crack up. Yeah. And now we're like, where are you going to school? Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. It's really funny. I, I told a photography mentor of mine and I spoke a couple months ago and she's in her 70s. And I was, she was saying, you know, that she loved the work that I did. And she was saying how her daughter-in-law really probably needed this because she, you know, just like us, was had little kids and was so focused on that and career. And that was it. And I told her, I said, yeah, when I took my first, you know, when I came back to photography after kind of a hiatus from college to adulthood, when I took it, like, I didn't tell any friends. I was actually a little bit embarrassed that I was wanting to take photography classes and like a creative writing class and things like that of just, oh, I'm going to feel like the bad mom, or I'm going to feel like I, I'm so indulgent of, you know, these silly little things. So I really, I like, I kept it very, very quiet the first few that I took. So, and she was, oh, it's my mentor. She had said, oh, I didn't feel bad at all. Like when my kids were little, like growing up, you know, you and I are the same age, like in the 70s and 80s, you're like, yeah, my mom was not hyper-focused on all these things that, you know, that I was as as a mom, so... Totally. And, you know, it's funny because I, I share some of that where people will be talking about what's pop culture shows that are on. And I'm like, mm, I feel like I sound so elitist being like, I don't watch that. Like, I don't. I watch like two things and then I'm on the internet or doing something else that's like of interest to me that isn't like watching those shows that everybody's watching. And I'm like, you know, when people get together and they talk about that, I'm like, I, yeah. I just... I love pop culture, but I have no idea what you're talking about right now because I am over here on this other thing doing this. And that is so freaking cool to me, you know? Well, I love that, Sandra, because you are a creator. And I like to say that, so our culture today, you know, really emphasizes consumption over creativity and, you know, with just consuming social media or consuming Netflix. And and I was like, I'm not a Luddite. Like, I like my Instagram. I do like, I still have a Netflix subscription. But it's just this balance of like, how can we say, oh, you know, if I'm having actual junk food, like a hostess cupcake versus digital junk food versus creating like my output, like what do I want to put out rather than just constantly, constantly take in? So I love that, you know, you're the same way. I'm not caught up on any shows either. (laughs) Yeah. It's the concept of the lifelong learner in a way too. Like I am taking these courses or doing things that are of interest that are fueling my brain and my creativity in a different way. And it doesn't make me any better. It's just like, that's what I like, you know, like I like that. I like talking about that stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And I mean, I would, I would argue maybe it doesn't make you better, but there are so many positive benefits to, to getting out of that just total consumption mode and being in the creativity mode. Totally. Totally. I mean, you know, that is something that we do for ourselves too. Like my husband will say like, oh, like, you know, he still thinks like, you know, watching a show together is quality time together too. And I'm like, I get that because we laugh or we share or whatever, but I'm like, oh, this is something else that I'm going to apply to what I do. Because I also think like my work is very creative. So I like to, like the people who come and work with me are drawn to me because of my ideas, right? So if I expose myself to more things, I'm like, ooh, firing at all these different pistons are firing, you know? And it helps me bring it to what I do, which I get really energized about. Yes, I love that sort of. It's that concept that I, I joke that like, do it for the gram, you know, where, you know, don't yeah. don't jump off of cliffs and things just to take an Instagram photo. But you're like, it does give you, you know, a little more impetus to be adventurous <laughs> when you're, you know, thinking, how do I want to fuel ideas and things in my life? Like, I want to have more experiences. I want to get off. You know, I always say like, I don't want to just make a dent in the couch cushions. Like, I want to make a dent in the universe. Like, I want to get off the sidelines, get into the, to life. I also want to rest and like, you know, yeah, watch a show with my husband, but also do things, have that feasty life as I would describe it, that bigger, bolder response rather than just, oh, okay, I'm just kind of zoned out and consuming. Totally. And so you're using iPhone photography as the vehicle now. And it's something that's accessible to all of us, right? We all have the phone at our hip. And, you know, the cameras are really good in there. You don't need the big DSLR and everything. I mean, you could have that. That's great, too. But, like, you can really do for yourself and dive into your life and what you're talking about with an iPhone. Yeah. And so I I like to joke that the iPhone is like the gateway drug to creativity because it's so it's already with us and it takes amazing pictures. Now it has so many functionalities that are similar to a DSLR with changing the f-stop and making the background blurrier and so many apps and amazing things. Like, it's funny. Like, I have my DSLR sitting right here next to me and I use my iPhone a million times more than I care because it's heavy. It's not with me all the time. Oh, it's bulky. You can't have it in a cute little bag. <laughs> exactly. So so the, the phone is what I primarily create with. But I also love it because I feel like when people have been... So I believe that you know creativity is a state, not a trait. It's a muscle that we build and that we all have it. And that it ends up getting you know culturally educated, squeezed out of us in some way, shape, or form. And so for those people who are really drawn to my work and coming back to this, to bringing creativity into their life, that, you know, when you are a busy parent and working and doing all the things, you can't just like bust out the paint set, you know, on the side of the road and have this large swath of time for this creative experience. Your time is limited. So what I realized was in my own practice, like I would be waiting. My daughter, one of my twins is a dancer and she takes a million dance classes. And I was always waiting outside of the dance studio or in the lobby and watching that, you know, as I said, we're all just on our phones, waiting, checking email and and kind of doing nonstop work. And I thought, what if I just went for a photo walk? Like, what if I just went and walked around outside for 15 minutes and took pictures of shadows or whatever I saw. And so I was doing that when they were little, when I, I guess when the first iPhone came out, I mean, I was an early adopter. So I think my kids were maybe five or so, but that's, that's what I was doing. And I thought, oh, this is how I can still have this. I don't need a dark room. I don't need all these things that are, oh my that gosh. I, I don't need to be on a week long retreat or to do this, I can bring it into my daily life and get all the benefits, the health benefits of creativity and the joyful and the life benefits without taking up a ton of time. And we're all taking pictures anyway. If you look at your phone and you have 35,000 photos on it of your family and your dog oh my gosh, and totally. a sunset, you know what I'm talking about. We're all doing it anyway. 
you know, the whole idea of the photo walk too, it's a process, you know, it is something that gets you out of your everyday because you're not, you know, you're, you're going with a goal to, to look and to see things, not just to power walk and blaze through as quick as you can. Like the idea is to observe, to walk around and look at the nooks and crannies or the, the flower growing out of the crack in the sidewalk and, you know, appreciating these pieces that you discover along the way. Yeah. And I mean, you'll appreciate this, Sandra. I'm sure you were familiar with this, you know, having your BFA in photography back in the, you know, nineties as, as I did. Totally. So the, you know, when we learned on a 35 millimeter camera and you were in the dark room, it took so long to develop a roll of film. You had to shoot the whole thing at once, you know, so that when you then go into the dark room and take, you know, develop the film and then develop the photos that it was worth your time. So I would be out, you know, I remember I started taking photography when I was 15 years old and was in a photography class in my high school. And I would just go out with the 35 millimeter camera and I would take the whatever 24 roll of film or however many it was and do the whole thing. So you were forced to, and I grew up out, I live in Colorado now, which is a very scenic place, but I grew up outside of Detroit, Michigan. So it was like you were having to find shadows and interesting Mm -hmm. things that weren't necessarily the definition of beauty of, you know, Ansel Adams version of, of a landscape. And so I, I didn't realize, I mean, it's been a practice with me since I was about 15 years old. I named it more during the quarantine, during the original COVID lockdown, when we were all inside our homes. And I was, you know, going a little crazy at, at times and thinking where where we live, we live a little bit out in the country. And all I've never seen so many of my neighbors in my life walking. Like we're all out mm-hmm. walking. And I thought, oh, I should teach people the photo walk because it's a really beautiful thing to do during an extremely difficult time that that we're all going through to see the world, see the good in the world, see what what other things are going on instead of just, you know, obviously there's plenty of stress relieving benefits just to walking or being outside, but to add in this creative element to get us kind of out of our head and into into Mm -hmm. our heart a little bit more into presence into flow state. And it's it's interesting. There's more recently, there, there's been a study of the original lockdown, you know, that, that we all went through of over 5,000 people of showing that those who had creative practices that got them into a flow state. And let's say it was like the sourdough bread starter or whatever. Yeah, totally, I, that was totally. not flow state for me. That seemed very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> but but if you had practices that that it the people were remarkably happier, able to deal with the uncertainty, less depressed, less lonely, and less anxious than counterparts, even mindfulness counterparts of people who had a, a great mindfulness practice. You know, those mindful people did better than those who had nothing. But the flow state people, those in the creative practices, fared the best in an over 5,000-person study. So I didn't know that information when I created... That's yeah, so interesting. I didn't know that that information when I created the photo walk guide. I just thought, like, this is one of the things that I'm doing to stay sane and leave my four walls and not just go for a walk, you know, to also create something and put myself in that better frame of mind. Right. And for the listeners, you know, one of the things that you do in your photo guide of the photo walk and the guide that you've created is that you give these prompts. So, you know, because I'm sure people are like, okay, well, how do you start? What do you do? You're just out there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's the road. It's a tree. No, but you really give some photographic and creative prompts so that people aren't stuck. Because, you know, when you're starting an endeavor like this, like, you know, we all are familiar with like the blank page yeah, thing, right? Like, the blank you know, you get the blank page and you can't <laughs> write. Yeah, you know, the blank canvas, the blank page, you can't write, you can't paint, what do I do on it kind of thing. So your prompts that you give really help people to get started and to get into action. And like that becomes like this kinetic energy that starts to feed one step off of another. You know, things like 
a worm's eye view or um, shooting from the hip, which are very common and familiar standard photo practices. You know, uh, you know, worm's eye view is getting down low or shooting from the hip is like really just walking through the town there and getting what you get. So let's talk a little bit about some of the prompts that you do and you know, how even some of the responses that you've gotten to the prompt. Yeah, it's it's funny. My husband thinks the worm's eye view, he was not a photographer ever, so he didn't know that that's like actually a term in photography, but he thinks it's funny. Like, that's a real one. Some of your, I will say your Dunkin' Donut life is a made up term. <laughs> that is. I have some made up words. I have a slow toe too. That's my made up poetry. I, for the listeners, yeah. I gave Sandra this lexicon that we use in the life feast of all my, one of my students had said like, please put it together of like all your crazy words, Lizzie, because you have so many. But the prompts, so the worms I view, my husband thinks is so funny. Like he's always like, aren't you going to worm crawl today? Or, you know, and and he he has this vision yeah, he's always like, you're going to be in the old folks' home with, you know, playing shuffleboard and showing everyone how to worm crawl around with their walkers. That's that's what he <laughs> always says. But, you know, I had I had one woman, actually. So during, she ended up becoming a member of the Life Feast. The Photo Walk Guide is a free download. Um, but this woman had downloaded it. She wrote me an email and she said, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this in my life. She said, my husband was struggling with some depression, as was I. She was a teacher. And so she was switching to online teaching, you know, in the pandemic. So stressed about that. Her own kids, then her her students. And she said, we downloaded the photo walk guide. I took my husband out. We were at the park. I'm like down in the grass, you know, doing worm's eye view. He's thinking I'm absolutely nuts. And she said, and then we looked at the photos and they were so freaking amazing and we loved them so much. She was like, basically like Worm's Eye View changed my whole quarantine and made us so much happier. And I was like, that's totally the best news I've ever heard. It was so, so I love that. But like in the life, we'll do something as simple as just like right now we're doing different colors. I'm like, hey, if you see blue today, go take a photo of whatever you see as blue. And, you know, that's a that's a mindfulness, awareness building practice. That's a way of, if we're just walking around in life, you know, reading our texts as we're walking down the street, instead saying like, hey, open your eyes. Like we were on the color, this is outing myself, but we were on the color red uh, like a month ago. And I was walking to my office and noticed that there's a fire hydrant near my office. I was like, huh. In a few years I've been here, I don't think I've ever noticed that there was a fire hydrant until I'm looking for red. And so I like to say to them, like, it's an invitation. So you can take a literal photo of a fire hydrant. You might just be like, what the heck is the point of that, Lizzie? You know, why do I want a photo of a fire hydrant? But I say like, but it's an invitation to get in closer and get abstract and to do Mm -hmm. the bird's eye view or the worm's eye view or shoot from the hip or try these other things out. And then you come away. So so my experience was I get out of my car. I notice this fire hydrant. I take sort of a lame picture of just a literal fire hydrant. And then I walk in closer and take these other angles of it. And then I would like, oh my God, I love the, I love my photo of this fire hydrant. Uh-huh. So that's, that's kind of how those prompts help. They help you to see, they help you be more aware and more present and get into that flow state, even for just two minutes. Like it didn't take me very long as I'm standing on the street, having a photo session with the fire hydrant. But you you learn how to create in that moment on that on the fly, which helps you deal with uncertainty better or build confidence or boost inflammation. Like these are all the the creative benefits to just something silly, like taking a picture of the color red. And I love that story because it shows what can happen in the span of five minutes. Like you didn't have to be like, I'm going to a class and I'm registered. I have to leave 15 minutes early and drive and park and then do the stuff, be in the mindset. Like you had this experience and it was integrated into your life, right? Like as you were going to the office. Yeah. And it made my day better. Like, I mean, I then was like, oh, I didn't just rush in the door you're like, I'm the shit. Look yeah, at my- yeah, look at what I made. I'm so, so psyched. Yeah. And then you get to share it to Instagram. And then you get, yeah. you know, that. 
I think there's there's that piece too of like reclaiming our identity in our in our 40 like over 40 with creativity of like no this is I do have something mm-hmm. to express. I'm more than just these roles that I've put myself in and it it doesn't have to take long. It doesn't have to be this big stressful thing that you know signing up for the class, taking the class. Right, right, totally. And making an effort to do it. Like, that's what I really love about this is that it becomes part of it. And, you know, we've seen different versions of this where you do the the 30-day photo challenge kind of thing, and that's cool. But this is like an ongoing piece. This is a, you know, something that you can integrate in and see what others are producing and get ideas and, and then try something out on your own the next time after the next prompt kind of thing. So. Yeah, and we inspire each other. So within the the life feast, like the, that private group where people are sharing their different photos of what they took, like it's you know one of our our mutual friends and Katie Martin had said like she's like it's like the best place on the internet. Like I just love going in there and seeing these photos that everyone's taken of their life. These feasty photos because they're they're not traditional photos. They're really unique. Mm-hmm. In this way, and they're designed to get you to be more curious and get you out of your comfort zone and get you to be more playful and more adventurous. And then that translates into actions that you're taking in your life as well. You know, it's not just limited to, to the fire hydrant photo or whatever the photo is of the, the day. And I want to ask you because uh, while we're on some of the prompt discussion, some of your prompts, like a number of those concepts in the Life Feast are very Eastern influenced. So there's things like the Mixang photography, which is Tibetan for good eye. And it's a, as you write, a contemplative photography practice in which the heart, eye, and mind are all synchronized. Or Komo Rebi, which is the sun filtering through the trees. And that's a Japanese term. And so I would love to just hear how these influences come about for you as well, because they are quite beautiful and Zen in some ways as well. Yeah, I am. I am. Obs- I'm telling Sandra before we hit record. I'm obsessed with the culture of Japan and and the language and the fact that they have a word. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but if I'm not, I, I apologize for butchering a beautiful culture and language. But Como Rebi, and it means the interplay of light and leaves. And I just think, wow, any place that actually took the time to name <laughs> the interplay of light and leaves is just in awe of that language. I guess the origin of it, so I, I was an English major and a photography minor in college. I'm a, a writer. I love words. So I love all kinds of words. And we have a whole module in the Life Feast on poetry where we're making photos and little words and things like that. So that's where this lexicon came from trying to think like what was the first one probably mix song so when i maybe about i don't know 8 or 9 years ago possibly longer my first my first ever therapist was also a practicing buddhist and she had told me about a buddhist talk in our town from these two photographers and they were teaching they weren't teaching mix song or they were doing like a presentation at the library on just a contemplative photography practice. And they had a book called, you know, Contemplative Photography. And I went to the talk and I thought, oh my God, this is what I do. I had no idea. I never had named it that way. I didn't. Yes. And I was like, this is because their whole premise, it wasn't any sort of photography, right, can be contemplative. You know, there are people who do wildlife and are sitting waiting for an animal to show up. I'm not like that. Like, I love to sort of commune with the moment that you're there and notice this beautiful shadow or streak of sunlight or whatever's happening in that moment. I'm not a great planner. And so their whole contemplative practice was that same thing of like a unique photo of a stoplight or of, you know, just mundane things that you wouldn't have deemed as art. So I was already doing this. I had no name for it. They had this book on contemplative photography. And I think somewhere inside the book, they mentioned Mixong photography. And then I Googled it and there were more, there was like a, another book I could buy on Mixong. And I loved that it translates as... That just took you down the rabbit hole, right? Yes. And it translates as the good eye. And I put that in air quotes because it's not, I, I don't like people to get caught up in the, you have to have a good eye or talent that that's a very 
we go with the growth mindset in the Life Feast so that you can learn these things in practice. I say like nobody, not even Ansel Adams, came out of the womb knowing what an F-stop was. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that, that, that photography is the ultimate sort of like growth creativity. You have to learn the me- mechanics of it. So, so I don't believe there is that you're just born with a good eye. You de- you develop, develop it. it. And so so I loved that 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 name for it. Then I think the next one that came in was Wabi Sabi, which how did I find it? I think it was just in a I think it was that same maybe that same therapist? I can't remember. Or a book that I'd read and Wabi Sabi is this concept of perfectly imperfect, of things being you know, if you take like a like a mug and you say, "Oh, this was like a Walmart mug manufactured in a factory." It's this is not a Walmart mug. This is my Mr. T mug. Um, <laughs> it has like dents and cracks in it. But it's like that that it's not perfect. And it's not, it's perfectly imperfect. It's not perfect in spite of its imperfections. It's beautiful because of its imperfections. And that's the concept of wabi-sabi. It comes from this Japanese tea ceremony. There's a whole long story to that that I share in the Life East. But I just think it's the loveliest thing of how can we embrace our patinas and especially as we age of saying like, yeah, this is, I love my imperfections. They're what make me relatable. That's what makes me human. Those are connection points. Yeah. And and, that's what draws people to you. I mean, Mr. T mug, I'm there with you, girl. A (laughs) hundred percent. Like that's like, that's what draws people in. (laughs) Right. That's the that's the playful side. I'm very playful. So it's like I try to say we need to get out of that perfectionism. We put creativity on a pedestal and we get really intimidated by it. And instead, it's like how can we a- approach it with with a sense of play and curiosity and you know, adventure so that it's not intimidating. So let me ask you, when you take like inside the membership, what's the format of it then? So like are like if you're watching some lessons, you're getting these prompts. Like, are you meeting weekly Is or where are you posting? Like, how does that all work so that people can support one another and see the creative progression? Because that's part of it, right? Is to kind of say, wow, I saw your first photo and now I'm seeing your creative spark develop more and it flourish and all of, you know, the growth that can happen. Yeah. So it's a little different. It what we what we do in there is so there are I thought it was so funny you'd ask me like are they actual modules? Like yes, they are. So we have like the first I start with the mix song. I start with the foundation of learning. I call it the art of seeing and the art mm-hmm. of awareness. And I talk about this like really interesting study. So so for me as you pointed out for that I should share with everyone, it is a mashup of positive psychology and iPhone photography. So I am certified in applied positive psychology. I absolutely love the science of positive psychology. And I've been a photographer forever and ever. So I created this mashup because photography is this beautiful way of taking these concepts of positive psychology and taking them from like the information to the transformation. You have to put them into action. So if I'm teaching you mindfulness I'm and you're you have a struggle closing your eyes and like sitting on a cushion and meditating, this is I say, yeah, it's the other M word. You know, it's the mixong photography where we learn how to be really present and notice things in that way. So it's a it's And a stop concept. thinking about the overthinking that we're doing because yes. you're focusing on something else. It's the same benefits as the meditative state because you're not focused on taxes and da-da-da-da because that's exactly. out of your mind. You're focused on being in the flow. Exactly. Exactly. So that's just an example of, you know, that's where we start with that foundation. And within those modules, like they're they're very playful and fun. Like I throw in a song clip from, you know, David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. Like we've got like a little under pressure for some stress <laughs> discussions that we have of, you know, watching them strut around on stage and and singing it. I I have um clips from you're probably you might be familiar with Casey Neistat, the filmmaker, mm-hmm. YouTube, love him. So I've got like a little adventure sequence of a clip from Casey Neistat. I have a Chevy Chase movie clip in there of for awe from a funny old movie. Like we I bring in to each module. So I'm teaching you the science. I'm giving you 
embarrassing stories from my own life. Like in the mindfulness one, I talk about the time I set my oven on fire and didn't with like my kids having a birthday party with 11 little girls in our kitchen and flames like coming out of our, our oven. So the times when I wasn't mindful. And so, and then I bring in studies that are just so fascinating, but you didn't have to read the academic journal. I'm giving you the the snippets of how to apply it to your life without the density <laughs> of, yes, the, right. of the information and bringing it in this light, funny, playful way. And then you're given what I call the life lens. And the life lens is a, is a little downloadable JPEG PDF that you can put on your phone of your prompts for that module of what you, you should be taking photos of a shadow or of a diagonal line or... And so you'll appreciate that. Like I give an assignment of take a photo of a diagonal line because of the concept in photography of leading lines in composition. So I like to say it's like the karate kid method where, you know, remember the original karate kid, the wax on, wax on, he's washing the car. He has no idea he's learning, you know, karate and he's getting annoyed. People are like, why am I taking a picture of a diagonal line? I'm like, just do it. And this is why. So then later on, I have a little module that that shows some photographic principles like rule of thirds and leading lines and things like that. But first, I'm just giving people the prompt to play with, mixed in with, here's why you're doing it positive psychology-wise. Then we go into curiosity. We have a whole playful module, adventure, awe. And my favorite, which is, I, you said I can swear on here, the yeah. fuck perfectionism <laughs> <laughs> bonus. Because I know that that's what, where I get in my own way. I'm a very vocal inner critic, getting too perfectionistic about things. And so in that, I have clips from Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert. And I have another Japanese word, this kintsugi word. And things from Ansel Adams. So it's a it's a mashup within the module of all these different ways to inspire people to then apply like, oh yeah, I do that too. And I get all perfectionistic. And I had like one woman tell me, she said, oh, she really hadn't taken that many photos in the Life East. But she was like, I was planning a dinner party and I was getting all perfectionistic and all stressed out about it. And I remembered the you know, Feck Perfection, which comes from a great James Victory graphic designer, his his book. I love the term. <laughs> and she was like, I remembered Feck Perfection and thought, no, this doesn't have to be a perfect dinner party. And it so it's just funny in that way. That's how it ends up translating to life experiences mm-hmm. without necessarily having to be, oh, you need to go take a perfect photo today. Totally. Not, it's not a serious... It's about that process that we keep mentioning and the psychology piece of it all comes in. Yeah, exactly. And I like it's this, you know, it's a fun way to do personal growth of Mm -hmm. tapping into your own creativity. And then what happens with a lot, there are the people who get really into the the photographer and love and stick with that. But then there are those who are, oh, I started painting or, oh, I I Mm -hmm. did, like, I'm big into theater. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I do a theater group and write comedy and people, it opens up those channels. That's why I said earlier, like, it's a gateway drug. It opens up the possibility you can you can stick with iPhone photography in there, but you can also, as many do, dive into other art forms that that feel it's really exciting. Spark. It sparks your creativity as a whole. Exactly. I ask you, you know, what do you do with your photos when you're on this journey? Right? Like, I mean, I feel like that's a question we all have because we all have an iPhone library full of things. So like, is that something you talk about too with your members? Like, is it about sharing it on social media? Is it printing and hanging up like I've got behind me? Or, you know, like our photo libraries can get so overwhelming. So when you're taking these photos where it might be something for yourself, you know, are you keeping that fire hydrant for the next five years, right? On your phone? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So well, it's a beautiful question because what you tap into is within positive psychology, there is this concept of savoring. And savoring is this piece. So I'll, I'll backtrack just a, a tiny bit. 
we say in positive psychology, you know, we have a strong negativity bias for our survival. And you probably heard this before of, you know, when we were looking for tigers and lions and trying to eat lunch and not be someone's lunch, that we were hyper-focused on what's wrong in life. And that that is sort of maladaptive to the way we live today, but it's still within our wiring. And so what researcher like Barbara Fredrickson says is that we need three positives for every negative in our day. And that we are Mm. Teflon for what's good in life and Velcro for what's not great. So we remember what's not great very easily and what's good kind of just slides right off of us. So this practice that is a part of positive psychology is called savoring. And it is to hold a moment longer in your heart that was good so that you remember it. If you think about like savoring a meal or a bite, if we go with all the food metaphors. So photography, I was like, photography is built for savoring. Like it's, you know, being able to print photos, to hold on to that moment, to revisit it, the nostalgia, all the things that come up with it. It's already that way. So there are a couple of things. Um, I have done art shows here in Steamboat where where I live with both the out-of-town life feasters and the local ones. The local ones is pretty so funny cool. because we, you know, I hung up all their photos. This was pre-COVID and their kids came. I was like, yeah, your kids come to your art show. You know, you'll, we'll be going to, we were all going to like a dance recital the next week. I'm like, we're yeah, the dance exactly. recital. Or like, right, the elementary and the lunchroom set up. Yes. Yeah, um, you're, <laughs> you're going to come see this mom's art show. So we, so we, we've done that. I, during COVID, I did a digital art show and that was really fun. We had like little Zoom chat rooms and people coming in. I called it, we have, we have something called the ceiling selfie in, in the life feast where I get people to take the, we hold our phones to take photos of your ceiling. And I called it like, if you're climbing the walls, you may as well take a ceiling selfie. So we did an art show of that. We also like I show them different ways to do photo books. And then as you can see, as you can see behind me, you know, I print all of my photos in these squares. So sort of like your live Instagram feed. And I encourage them, yeah, to do it as well. And so people do, they get inspired by each other of, yeah, then I put them up in my office or I put them up in my house. And they're, you know, not one, one woman said, it never occurred to me to take a photo of anything other than my children <laughs> and to, to mm-hmm. you know, hang it up. She takes the most incredibly awesome, cool photos. And I'm like, well, I'm glad it finally occurred to you that that, that would be a good thing. So we use that savoring practice to yeah, get the photos off of the phone and into mm-hmm. real life. If we are sharing them on social media, I'm careful to say like, we want to do it for the the joy of sharing, not the perfectionism, you know, not get get caught up in that sense. Yeah. Does that answer? Yeah, totally. And I love that because I am, you know, with my creativity, when I go on vacation or even do these books for my kids, when I make a photo book, like I'm incorporating not only the family photos and the kids' photos, but the tree, the special look at the diagonal on the wall or all of those things. So like I'm putting that in there as well from our family trips and all of those type of things. So that like my kids will see when they're looking through, they see that they see what I'm seeing, uh, you know, as I'm taking it. And it's, it, it becomes a form of my creativity, not just a document of our vacation, you know? Um, so yeah, that's why I like to ask that, like, how are, how are people using that? I'm very much a visual person in terms of my photos being used. And I'll even, you know, when there's a sale at one of the online places, I will literally just be like, upload a hundred photos and get them printed and put a stack out, you know, yes. and my kids love looking through them and being like, here we are. Cause they're not precious anymore in that way. Like when we were kids, photos were so precious. They were under the plastic and in there. And there was one of them. I mean, I was yes. just looking through a, an album recently where my puppy had gotten to it. And I'm like, well, those photos are chewed, but there's only one, like there is no negative, you know, but now it's like, they're less precious. So like, I literally put a stack on the the shelf and the kids will take it down sometimes and just flip through a hundred photos, you know? 
Yeah, I I love that. Us and I've like I've used them as stationery of like, well, maybe I'll make them into like a thank you note or something or so a gift cool. card yeah. or any number of things. This, I use this company called Parabo that I love, and you know, the same thing. Like they print like twenty five at a time, and you get this packet of the squares, and it's like, yeah, photos for everyone. You know, let's let's enjoy them. They they die in that digital library. I had um I have experts in come into the life feast often. And I had this wonderful woman, Isabel Dervo, come in and she is a photo curator and she yeah. helps curate libraries. And she's a, she's a, she has a very strong art background. She was in New Yorker magazine. She worked for Vogue for a while in illustration. So she has this beautiful way of organizing photos and curating and making them because she was like, listen, you go into just even going into your iPhone photo app, it's so overwhelming and you don't see the one, you know, so she was like, yeah, delete some of the, delete the receipts that you don't need anymore. Delete the parking space that you took a photo of to remember where you parked and you don't need anymore. So that when you're, you are scrolling through, you're seeing the ones that, you know, that, that you want to savor. <laughs> totally, totally. And as I dump them off into a um, a separate drive, there's always ones I keep. I have ones at the very top that are so much older that I'm like, I'm not deleting these from my library because those are the ones I savor and I like to yes. go back to and look at. So it'll be, you know, they're, they're kind of broken down by years, but there's still like a couple years at the top that are just creative for me to yeah. savor and, and reminisce and look at. Exactly. And I guess the other thing that I do that I think that they, the Life Feast members really appreciate is so like, let's say for the example, you know, we just finished the color blue and everyone had, you know, all their different takes on it. And then I create like a collage of them all or a slideshow or a reel or or something. And then they say, oh my God, like their little lone, you know, fire hydrant or whatever the blue was by itself sort of didn't have the same impact as seeing this whole cohesive group of of them and that it comes together in this other artful way joined up together. And I've seen that on your Instagram. We will link to that so people can check out like the work that people are doing as well. I savor those. I'm like, ah, I love it when you share your random crack in the sidewalk with me. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, this has been amazing. I mean, this has been such a great, exciting, feasty, feastful talk. I want to thank you so much for coming and joining me today. And just for like inspiring us to get back into and start reclaiming some of that, because I really do feel like so many people are on the coming out of the pandemic and like we still have effects from that. And like people need to not only go out to be with other people, but to like reclaim some of their life and their happiness. So this has been, you know, so inspiring and I'm really excited to share it with everyone. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Thank you, Sandra. I am so thrilled to be here. And yeah, this was this was such a such a joy to be interviewed by someone who loves photography as much as I do. I mean, we could keep going. I appreciate it. (laughs) And we're going to have links where you can find Lizzie, where you can sign up for the Life Feast, where you can check her out on Instagram. All of that will be in the show notes, everybody. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me today. You can access more info in the show notes at thelonggamepodcast.net. If today's show connected with you in some way, please share it with your friends or hop on iTunes and leave me a review. Until next time, Keep playing the long game.